So this afternoon, I'd like to talk some about compassion. Just continuing the theme that Tuare began so beautifully yesterday. And I was, as I was reflecting on this this morning and talking with some of you in the groups and then listening to my, I go back to my room and I listen to Dharma and I came across this, which felt very apropos and timely. So I want to read this to you. Just a passage here. Some periods of our growth are so confusing that we don't even recognize that growth is happening. We may feel hostile or angry or weepy and hysterical, or we may feel depressed. It would never occur to us unless we stumbled on a book or a person who explained it to us that we were in fact in the process of change, of actually becoming larger spiritually than we were before. Whenever we grow, we tend to feel it as a young seed must feel. We tend to feel it as a young seed must feel the weight and inertia of the earth as it seeks to break out of its shell on its way to becoming a plant. Often the feeling is anything but pleasant. But what is most unpleasant is the not knowing of what is happening. Those long periods when something inside ourselves seems to be waiting, holding its breath, unsure about what the next step should be eventually become the periods we wait for. For it is in those periods that we realize that we are being prepared for the next phase of our life. And that in all probability, a new level of the personality is about to be revealed. And so that is from Alice Walker. He's kind of in our neighborhood, I think. And... uh You know, here we are planting seeds. And compassion practice is very much that willingness to be dormant in the earth and struggle. To feel the weight and the inertia of this inevitable push that we have to grow and get big and powerful and strong and authentic and free. So this sense of courage, the practice takes a lot of courage. The willingness to be with this quivering heart, moment by moment. And that is really what we're doing in some ways. All we're doing is training in compassion here. Because when we clear away all of the other distractions and the detritus... (laughs) of daily life, and we're just silent and quiet and sitting and walking, all of the broken-heartedness can come to the surface. Don't we feel it, that kind of shaky, like, oh, it's coming, can I be with it? I don't know what to do quite. Moments of touching in, moments of being overwhelmed, 
Moments of feeling space, spaciousness. So this chitta, this heart-mind is so organic and so mm, mercurial and uh, surprising and wondrous and ineffable, subterranean. This is the territory we're going into. And in these Brahma Viharas, these trainings, so beautiful, the Buddha taught, you know, we have these responses. And in some ways, these four qualities, they're like, they contain all of the skillful responses that the heart can have. This love for basic goodness, this quivering compassion when it confronts suffering, this celebration and joy and delight when it confronts happiness, and overseeing it all, holding it all is this great, vast equanimity, this wisdom that can be with it all in a very steady, open, powerful way. I wanted to read, because we're working through these four uh, types of love, I want to offer this frame for you so you can kind of see the territory that we're in and understand how they react, they interact together. Love and compassion and joy and equanimity, they're all in the same family. So this is by a dear teacher of mine, Caroline Jones and Paul Burroughs, and it's called The Four Sublime Abidings. Metta, the love that connects, is an antidote to all forms of aversion. It is not attachment. If it slides into sentimentality, karuna, compassion, brings the heart back into balance. Karuna, the love that responds, is an antidote to cruelty. It is not pity. If it slides into sorrow, Mudita, or joy, brings the heart back into balance. Mudita, the love that celebrates, is an antidote to envy. It is not competitive. If it slides into agitated excitement, upeka, equanimity, brings the heart back into balance. Upeka, the love that allows is the antidote to partiality. It is not indifference. If it slides into disconnection, metta brings the heart back into balance. So we need all of them. And classically, the working definition of karuna is this loving heart when in contact with suffering has the deep wish, the longing to be free. For ourselves, may I be free of this pain, this sorrow. And for others, may you also be free of this pain, this sorrow, this fear. So Tweri offered these classical phrases yesterday. And they're beautiful. You can be creative with whatever compassion phrases resonate for you. Traditionally, it's may I be free of suffering and the causes of suffering. You can use, may you be held with care and love. 
May I learn to hold this suffering with compassion. Or sometimes I just use, I care. I care about this. I care for you. And lately, I think I just want to offer this two parts of compassion. It can help sometimes to clarify, like, compassion has these two parts. It's really this contact with suffering. That's the courage, the willingness to be in that difficult place. Maybe not knowing, maybe afraid, maybe heartbroken or really angry. That is compassion. Just the willingness, as we say, you don't have to go out looking for it. Just the willingness to be in the present moment with this heart that's quivering. But that's not where we stop. We don't stop there. We also have a wish. It can be a kind of aspiration. It's not a clinging, but it's this open-handed aspiration, and I want to be free. And there's a possibility of freedom. I know this will change. And that is very actually uplifting this aspiration, this wish. May I be free of this. May you be free of this. So in the labs, they're studying compassion all the time, in these scientific labs. And this one German researcher, Dr. Tanya Singer, really showed that that altruistic wish is what energizes and sustains our compassion. Before we get, you know, often we get kind of downtrodden and overwhelmed and flooded with the difficulty if we're with it for too long. But if we can stay connected to this deep wish that, oh, I want to be free, I care about this, that's, it's actually energizing, it's uplifting, and it's not hard. It can sustain us, can sustain us through the difficulty. I've found that with this courage, the courageous, uh, also openness to be with suffering for as long as it takes, this not knowing, from that space, there can be a lot of creativity and responsiveness. Like the mind comes up with solutions that we never could have figured out otherwise. So just a small story to illustrate this is... um, I was in a long cabin retreat, but I kind of broke the rules sometimes, and I would go online and watch His Holiness Dalai Lama because he's so inspiring to me. And I saw this video of him meeting with young people. He was leading with change makers and young people from all around the world, and this was still in COVID times. I think it was like after the first few years, and people were still traveling, so they were coming to Dharamsala to meet with him, but it's still covid and one young woman from New York was really emotional and asking, you know, Your Holiness, I've just had such a horrible time in COVID. A lot of beloved people have died. My brother just committed suicide. I feel so helpless. And I don't know what to do with this grief. He's crying. And His Holiness, the camera zooms in, His Holiness is like, come here. She's like, what? You know, she's sitting in the audience. and she's like, He's like, come here. So she stands up, comes to him, and on his side table, someone's offered him a piece of cake. And he, takes, he just breaks off this piece of cake and feeds it to this woman. <laughs> just offers her, like, something sweet. Right in that moment, you know, people are expecting this wise, profound, deep answer. And instead he's like, here, have something yummy, deep. 
I just love that response. Compassion takes all kinds of forms. It can be the willingness to be with. It can also be this very joyful response. So surprising how the heart can open and connect and help. So it's not judging, comparing, fixing, but it's being open to the possibility of how we can respond. And I've been told that his favorite prayer in the morning, he wakes up early and the Dalai Lama says, that he recites this prayer from Shanti Deva. He says, as long as space endures, as long as there are beings to be found, may I continue likewise to remain, to drive away the sorrows of the world. I love that strength of heart. You know, when we're suffering on the cushion or through our days, if there's a sense of I'm doing this on the behalf of others, right? I know I'm not the only one who has suffered in this way, and I'm learning about the machinations of this heart-mind so that I can be of service. And even this radical act of practice is already offering to the sangha here and changing my nervous system. If it can, you can have the sense of accompaniment, like I'm doing this for the benefit of myself but also of others. So much more energy and resiliency that can come. The sense of not being alone, of taking refuge in the ancestors and all those who have done this similar kind of work. So if that's helpful, I know I spoke to some of you today about it, if it's helpful to reflect on those role models that we have, like to where I talked about the those folks in the front lines who sat in the front of the bus, who marched, people who have spoken up in the face of power, those who have been brave, those who have overcome injustice. It's helpful to reflect on those people and call on them, call on their energies, call on Kuan Yin, call on all these lineage wisdom beings. That can be helpful. Know that we're not alone. We're not alone. Thich Nhat Hanh says that we're just walking each other home. So let's do a little bit of practice here. And the invitation is always to uh, stay in your body, and if at some point it gets too overwhelming or energy is getting really intense, to use your body as a touch point. You can come back simply to the breath or body sensations. There's no need to push this compassion. Often we think, oh, it's got to be like more than I have, and I really got to go in and do this. But we want to pendulate, titrate, take care of the nervous system so we stay balanced. And at this point in the retreat, we're getting sensitive. We're really going deep. So to take care, to take care of this quivering and we want to hold it with all of this metta and joy and also equanimity as we practice that compassion. And so we begin just by finding our bodies again. Just finding a posture that feels supported. It's really important to feel comfortable, especially in these heart practices. So. There's a way you can be a little more comfortable taking care. And then coming home, coming home again and again. 
with this body in this moment. I have arrived. I am home. Taking a bit of time to feel the steadiness that has grown just in the last few days of practice, that there's already a lot of steadiness here now in the body, in the room. As we feel our bodies, feel the breath, you might notice this quality of mindfulness, of bodyfulness, that's very intimate. It connects with this experience moment by moment. There's already a natural compassion that's knowing this chitta. It's already in us. If you can notice that quality of mindfulness, of bodyfulness, that is deeply intimate with our particular suffering and also the suffering of the world, this chaotic and broken and beautiful world. And we care, you know, often so much of our suffering, our stress is really rooted in this sense of caring. I care about this. I want to be happy. I want to be free. It's very natural. We don't have to push or contrive or create compassion. It's already in us. And so staying in the body now, we'll just take a moment. Classically, we begin with a being, a person, an animal, a tree. Someone in our life who we love a lot, we care about, who might be going through a hard time right now. And you don't necessarily have to choose the one who is suffering the most just someone you care about, a child, an elder, 
a place in nature that might be going through some hardship, some difficulty in their life right now. There's no need to choose the perfect being, but just see who comes to mind, who is asking for your attention, your compassion in this moment. And then once you've chosen your being, you can take a moment to feel them with you. Maybe imagine what they look like or feel their presence here with you. Spend a bit of time holding them in your heart-mind. For those who are visual, it can be really interesting to be very clear with your image of this person, this being. But for those who are more kinesthetic, you can really conjure the felt sense of this loved one, this beloved being. Feel them here with you, and you might just imagine how their heart might be aching their particular flavor of dukkha, and notice how we care, we care. And then reciting the phrases silently, you can send them to this being, I care about your suffering. I care for you. May you be free of this pain, this fear. And may you be peaceful. And so we recite the phrases, and sometimes we really feel in alignment with their meaning, and we feel the heart uplift, but sometimes we just recite the phrases, and it's okay if we don't feel much. You can trust the intention is there. And then we're simply sending these phrases, these compassionate wishes to our loved one. I care about your suffering. I care for you. May you be free of this pain, this fear. May you be peaceful. As you send these phrases, really feel that they're being received, they're landing, they're absorbing in your loved one. You can trust that it's happening. My dear one, I care about this suffering. I care for you. 
May you be free of this pain, this fear. May you be peaceful. And so continuing with the phrases, if they're resonating for you, you can use your own. Or if it feels right, to just send them this caring energy. You can imagine them receiving your good wishes and really sense into the meaning, this felt sense of compassion and care. And let the phrases go and just feel the sense of holding them with your caring heart. Of course, if you're running up against the edges of things, if you're shutting down or feeling overwhelmed or numb, just coming right back to the body. There's really nothing to do, nowhere to go. Letting yourself take a breather. And as you're ready, returning to either the image or the phrase or the felt sense of sending compassion to a loved one.
I care about your suffering. I care for you. May you be free of this pain, this fear. And may you be peaceful. Now we'll just spend a couple of moments here at the end to turn this compassion back towards our own hearts. And for myself, I find that if I use the second person, if I send the phrases to myself, there can be a little more access to this connecting with my own difficulty, my own suffering. So if it's helpful to conjure an image of yourself, could be present day, could be maybe yourself as a kiddo, a little one, maybe an old photograph or a phase in life where maybe you struggled some. Spend a little bit of time really caring for this one, this being right here that's sitting right here. Feeling all this care, this devotion and love and concern for this chitta, this quivering heart, all that it's been through. And then sending yourself the phrases, my my dear, my love, may you be free of your suffering. I care, I care about your suffering, I care for you. May you be free of this pain and this fear. May you be peaceful. 
And see how it is to send these phrases to maybe your different parts, maybe one particular part that's suffering. I care about your suffering. I care for you. May you be free of this pain and this fear. And may you be peaceful. Sometimes it's helpful to put a hand on the heart or the belly and just feel yourself being held. Notice that you can do this. You can, you can do it. I care for you. I care about this suffering. May you be free of your pain, your fear. May you be peaceful. Okay, so now we'll just just let go of all the images and the phrases, the effort. You can just, on the exhale, let yourself be very simple. Don't even have to meditate. Ah, Just let awareness do the work. Nothing to do, just for a few breaths here. Thank you for your practice. And we have time for just a closing story that I wanted to share. And I actually have two, because I can never decide. So I'd like to see a show of hands. Who wants a funny story? And who wants a kind of nature compassion story? (laughs) You want both, of course. (laughs) 
I want both too. <laughs> All right. Well, let's do the nature compassion one now. And I'll find a way to weave in this other one. We're heading into joy tomorrow, so we'll find a way to do the funny one. But this one is called Natural Compassion. And it's from a book by Ram Das. True story. I was in about 40 feet of water alone. I know I should have, I knew I should not have gone alone, but I was very competent and just took a chance. There was not much current, and the water was so warm and clear and enticing. But when I got a cramp, I realized at once how foolish I was. I was not very alarmed, but was completely doubled up with stomach cramp. I tried to remove my weight belt but I was so doubled up I could not get to the catch. I was sinking and began to feel more frightened, unable to move. I could see my watch and knew that there was only a little more time on the tank before I would be finished with breathing. I tried to massage my abdomen. I wasn't wearing a wetsuit but couldn't straighten out and couldn't get to the cramped muscles in my hands. I thought, I can't go like this. I have things to do. I just couldn't die anonymously this way with no one to even know what happened to me. I called out in my mind, somebody, something, help me. I was not prepared for what happened. Suddenly, I felt a prodding from behind. It was behind me under the armpit. I thought, oh no, sharks. I felt real terror and despair. But my arm was being lifted forcibly. Around into my field of vision came an eye, the most marvelous eye I could ever imagine. I swear it was smiling. It was the eye of a big dolphin. Looking into that eye, I knew I was safe. It moved farther forward, nudging under, and hooked its dorsal fin under my armpit with my arm over its back. I relaxed, hugging it, flooded with relief. I felt that the animal was conveying security to me, that it was healing me, as well as lifting me toward the surface. My stomach cramp went away as we ascended, and I relaxed with security, but I felt very strongly that it healed me too. At the surface, it drew me all the way in to shore. It took me into water so shallow that I began to be concerned for it, that it would be beached. And I pushed it back a little deeper, where it waited, watching me, I guess, to see if I was all right. It felt like another lifetime. When I took off the weight belt and oxygen, I just took everything off and went naked back into the ocean to the dolphin. I felt so light and free and alive and just wanted to play in the sun and the water in all that freedom. The dolphin took me back out and played around in the water with me. I noticed that there were a lot of dolphins there farther out. After a while, it brought me back to shore. I was very tired then, almost collapsing, and he made sure I was safe in the shallowest water. Then he turned sideways with one eye looking into mine. We stayed that way for what seemed like a very long time. 
timeless, I guess, in a trance almost, with personal thoughts of the past going through my mind. Then he made just one sound and went out to join the others, and all of them left. So we can't know what kind of support is there for us. And we can find this kind of compassion in the trees and the turkeys and the hummingbirds and the lizards all around. And it's such a natural responsiveness of the heart. You can trust it. You can trust it. So very grateful for your practice. And here we go. Time for another moment. (laughs) Thank you.